Welcome to Bible Fellowship Church's Sunday Morning Messages. Our podcast records a Sunday morning sermon from our pastor, Dr. Don Trust, other church leaders, and special guests. We hope you enjoy it, find it inspirational and enlightening to your understanding of the Bible. Life can be hard, but God has revealed Himself to us through the Word for our salvation and growth as believers. To help support our ministry, please consider becoming a subscriber and financial contributor. Links to donate are on our website at bfcforyou.org. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 2 this morning. As you know, on the first Sunday of the month, we are working through the book of Genesis. And then on the second Sunday of each month, which I think this one is, then we're working, we're working through the book of Daniel. And then the third Sunday of each month, we're picking up with the epistle to the Romans in the New Testament. Uh, I think that's great. They're actually, I'm seeing them overlap. I'm seeing them relate to one another. But at the same time, they're giving us a good foundation, I think, in the, in the doctrine of the Scriptures. Genesis comes from the first book of the Bible. Daniel's kind of in the middle. You know, it's an Old Testament book, a prophecy. So you got Genesis, uh, book of beginnings, and then you have Daniel, which we're looking at today as a foundational book in terms of biblical prophecy. Uh, it gives us kind of the overview of God's plan and purposes for time and for history. So that's going to be an interesting book as we continue to work through it. And then Romans is in the New Testament. So you see we're kind of covering the spectrum. Uh, my my um, um, vision for this is that those who are consistent in coming on a week-in and week-out basis on, on a Sunday, by the time we get through with this series, you'll have a good grasp of, um, uh, you'll have a good, um, you'll have a, a, a good knowledge of Bible, what the Bible has to say. So you get Genesis, you get Daniel, you get uh, Romans, that's a good foundation. I started doing one at a time, do Genesis, you know, and then move on over to Daniel, and then move on over to Romans, but I said, I'm going to try something interesting. I tell folks about this, some of my pastor friends, they say, wow, that's a good idea. We've never thought about that before. They said, let us know how it works. And I'm going to tell them it works great if everybody comes, okay, consistently, you know, week in and week out on Sundays. Otherwise, otherwise people miss and they come up and they're like, well, you know, and we don't have enough time or won't take enough time usually to recap. We just kind of want to get a brief idea where we where we are and we want to move forward with it all right Daniel chapter 2 we're still not up there yet and um, come on we can do this right it says source searching I thought it said soul searching <laughs> uh, all right it was on earlier before church so I'm going to unplug it try it again you didn't put you anything up there because it was working earlier I was surprised to see it off, so, all right, I'm going to move on without it. If you have your Bible on electronic version or either a print version, it's really good to follow along. Because remember, God said, Pastor Don is going to pass away, okay? Of course, I'm going to live forever with the Lord because of His work of salvation. But He says, as far as this bench is concerned, as far as the screen is concerned, you know, as far as your life that you have it now, all that's just going to change. It's going to be gone one day. But God says he's invested himself in his word. And so therefore, to put your eyeballs on the text yourself, I think is one way of uh, worshiping the Lord 
one way of serving Him and acknowledging before Him that His Word has value and importance to you. So that's one reason why I try to put it up there. It says no signal. Any suggestions, Andrew, on this? Okay. You want me to turn it off and restart it down here? Okay. All right. So, uh, the second chapter of the book of, of, of Daniel, there we go. Came up? All right, we're there. All right. So, um, the actual story in Daniel, you know, everything else is uh, peripheral. But the main story in the book of Daniel doesn't start until, doesn't start until verse 13. Okay? Just let you know that. And a mistake that I've made in teaching Daniel before is, is that I've come, I didn't recognize that the story actually begins at verse 13, the real story. And I've taught the preliminary that went before, and I've taught the material that went after this story as if they're the main thing. So I want to emphasize that as we start this story. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. It's plural. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. So he woke, it woke him up and uh, it disturbed him. He was alarmed by it. And apparently there were dreams, so it happened on more than one night and maybe more than once in one night. And it seemed to be that the dreams were, had a, were the same, were about the same thing. And then the king commanded that the magicians... Uh, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came, and they came in and stood before uh, the king. Now, don't let those terms, magicians, enchanters, and sorcerers, because those now have a modern connotation, okay? We're thinking of wizards and, you know, all of that kind of crazy stuff that goes on, and that's, that's included in all of that. But back in those days, it had more to do with the uh, governmental and societal uh, bureaucracy. Uh, these were the advisors to the king. And certainly some of them were religious advisors and used some of the black arts, you know, in their, in their helping the king direct him. But uh, think in terms of more of a bureaucracy. There's probably some sorcerers and enchanters and magicians um, advising the president today. We just wouldn't put those labels on them. And... Uh, um, what the king needed was someone that was devoted to the, to the Lord, someone that knew the Lord, understood his word, someone that he could call alongside to give him some insight and wisdom. He's going to find one in this story here. You know that, don't you? And Daniel's going to continue to advise Nebuchadnezzar and the kings that follow him for the remainder of his life. Daniel will be 70 years in Babylon. And Daniel's going to be one voice, one voice for the Lord to help the kings and, and, the, and the government there to be able to have counsel from the Lord. They don't always take that counsel. Uh, and there are the others who are counseling against what he says, but still, nevertheless, Daniel will be, be that counselor. Verse 3, and the king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is now troubled. I want to know the dream. I think what he's saying here, that he wants to understand what the significance of this dream is. What does it mean? Uh, the Hebrew may actually uh, be saying here, he's troubled by this dream that he had been having over and over, and he's having trouble remembering what it is. 
probably the, the latter, prob- or the earlier, probable that he knows what the dream is, he's troubled by it. And then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. You know, they stood there, shoulders back, you know, grinning from ear to ear. And to Nebuchadnezzar, Neb, we got this, okay? And Nebuchadnezzar uh, said, not so fast, guys. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. Ooh, that gulp. Man, did he ever wake up on the wrong side of the bed? You know, in other words, has he had, has someone, has he had his coffee yet, guys? I mean, he is, he is upset. I mean, he's, he's in a rage over this. And, he, and he's talking to us like that. Doesn't he know who we are and what we can do for him? Well, in verse 6, But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. Simple enough. Of course, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, he may be kind of like, I think these guys are running a racket on me, you know. They've got these, you know, they stand up and say, I can tell you great mysteries from, from the other side. I've got these spiritual entities that can give, that, that speak to me and give me great wisdom. And Nebuchadnezzar, you need me. Okay. And Nebuchadnezzar's thinking, yeah, right. Uh-huh. I wonder. I wonder about these guys. I think they're sham, you know. I think, they're, I think they're trying to pull one over on me all this time. Well, I'm going to call their bluff, okay? Let, let, let's go ahead and put them to the test. Let's see what will happen here. So he tells them, okay, guys, give me the interpretation. Uh-huh. Before you do that, you guys are so smart. Go ahead and tell me what my dream was. And um, if you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. By that he means you're going to keep talking, 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 talking. And you're thinking after he's had his second cup of coffee, he's going to relax a little bit. He's going to get over this tantrum that he's on and we can all, we can all be happy again. And he, and he says, I know what you're doing. You're just trying to talk this out, talk this back and forth for a while until finally, until finally I just get tired of it and we move on. He says, it ain't going to happen this time, guys. He says, therefore, tell me the dream and I, sh- and I shall know that you can show me the interpretation of confidence in what you said. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there's not a man on planet earth, not a man on the whole, in the whole world who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. It's unreasonable what you ask. Nebuchadnezzar, you are wrong for placing, putting this on us. And, um, and uh, the thing that the king asks is difficult. No one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Well, I'm thinking, guys, aren't you the ones that say you have access to the gods? Well, go out, you know, uh, if you're, you know, I know the cell phones don't work inside the castle, the, the palace right now, but go out to the payphone we have out in the lobby and give the man a call, give your man a call up, wherever he is, and ask him. I mean, 
That's not unreasonable, is it? You can do this, guys, unless you're phony, you know. Verse 12, because of this, the king was angry, furious, very furious, and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. Who? Man, can you imagine? I mean, he's got probably the upper echelon of these guys in, but there are many, many more of those who reside, you know, in the surrounding Babylonian suburb. And the word spreads like wildfire. Nebuchadnezzar's on a tantrum. And you know when he gets like this, and he says this is what's going to happen, there's no talking him out of it. And he says here that all the wise men, all those that have been trained up to serve in the Babylonian government as advisors and bureaucrats or whatever, he said they're to be destroyed. And their families, those who have families. Many of them, you remember, were eunuchs, so they didn't have families. All right, that... that that's kind of like the preliminary, that's the prelude to the real story that comes. That's pretty interesting, wasn't it? Most of the time, we who stand in the pulpit and we tell you this story of Daniel, we like this part because it's interesting. The next part, we kind of rush over real quick, and then we get to the end, when Daniel actually interprets the dream and tells him what it is. But let me suggest something to you, that the real message, the real heart of the story really begins in verse 13. There's some things there that are said that I in the past have just read over quickly, maybe talked about a little bit, and said, let's get on to the juicy part now. Where as far as Daniel was concerned, as far as the author of this chapter is concerned, this is really what he was trying to say to his audience then and to us today. Verse 13, so the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions. That means they rounded up Daniel and his companions. How many companions have, had, does Daniel have? Well, we really don't know, except we do know that he had at least how many? Three. And what are their names? Come on. You know. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? I mean, Abednego. So, so we know that he's, his companions are those three. So... Uh, and, da- and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Now, let me, let me suggest something to you. Daniel and his, and his people are perpetually in a situation where someone is seeking to kill them. We're talking about the Jewish people. From, from, from this time forward, even into modern times, there is an animosity, there's a resentment, uh, there's a hatred for those that are the physical descendants of Abraham through Isaac and Jacob, the Jewish people. Anybody doubt that? What's one of the most recent um, uh, expressions or exhibition that the people of Daniel live in constant fear that they're going to be killed? The Holocaust, okay? They rounded up a lot of people. Most of them were relatives of Daniel. Even though Daniel lived, you know, 2,500 years before, something like that. Um, the family of Daniel, his brothers and sisters, if he had them, his cousins, uh, all those in, that were, were Jewish at that time, the people of Israel, their descendants were placed into those ovens during World War II, and they were exterminated intentionally. Uh, the intent, was, the intent was, was to be done with all of them. And, you know, that still goes on today. There's still, this, there's still this concern that Daniel and his people have that they live in constant 
um, fear that there's someone out there that's wanting to kill them or their family or their friends, right? I mean, so I think that's, that's pretty good here. So Daniel and his companions to kill them. And so uh, Daniel and his generation and the generations that followed him, I think this would speak to them. I think they would say Daniel lived in a time and there was a moment, there was a, a moment then when Daniel and his friends, that they saw him, they were trying to round them up to put them to death, to kill them. And we know that that's happened to our people and it's going to happen again to our people. So we need to hear a message from God. We need to understand what the Lord's, Lord's position is on this and how he's going to, how we should respond in times like that. Verse 14, then Daniel replied. Notice he replied with prudence and discretion. He didn't go out and have banners and say, we protest, we protest, you know. Nebuchadnezzar, he's a jerk. Nebuchadnezzar, we hate him. Okay. They didn't, they didn't go out and say, you know, you know, they, they didn't, he, they didn't protest. They didn't go in and just shake their fist at him. Nor did they go off in the corner and go, oh, we're so scared. Or, you know, you know. So first thing it does is as he, he replied with prudence, you know, that, that, that suggests that he thought this thing through. And he says, you know, the Lord's given me, Lord's given me insight. He's given me a brain. And I need to assess this situation so that I can know how to respond appropriately. It's not time for me to stick my head in the sand and hide. It's to face the realities of what this is. And discretion. He's going to need to talk to people in authority. He's going to need to address them in a way, in a, in a way that does not offend them. He wants to be conciliatory. He wants to be able to have a hearing. He wants to get their cooperation. So Daniel knows how to behave when there is opposition. And the opposition here is set on destroying him. Now, there may be a lesson for, those, for us today, you know, in our world. How many of us are just get so angry? Or I'm coming across Christians that are just afraid, you know, that what's going to happen to us? As if, for some reason, the God of Daniel, you know, isn't as strong, isn't as capable today as he was then. I'm sure the Lord goes, I can't believe these people. You know, they're crying like babies. I mean, they're big shots when they're, you know, but, but, but when there's some kind of threat to them, when there's some kind of alarm that's been raised, you know, they don't act with prudence and discretion toward those that are in authority, especially those in who are in authority that are antagonistic against them. You know, one of the things that I've said, and I think can be proven out, is that um, throughout the history, throughout the history of the church, whenever the church rises up and shakes his fist at government, rises up and says, we're going to storm, we're going to storm the barricades. We're going we're to defeat those enemies that oppose the principles of God. Whenever the church rises up and does not respond prudently and does not act with discretion, it ends with, in a bloodbath. For the church. Okay? Be warned. And so Daniel, with prudence and discretion, uh, he spoke to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard. Now, captain of the king's guard means there's those elite soldiers, specially trained, 
uh, uh, that are trusted, that will carry out the orders of the king to the letter. And he's the captain of them. He's the captain of the guard. He's the captain of those soldiers who's been given the task to go out and round these people up and execute them. And in the process of that, they come to Daniel and say, come on, big boy, come on, Daniel, you and your friends, you're next. And uh, I'm amazed at the tact. I'm amazed at the, at the way that the Lord prepared Daniel so that in that crisis, in that critical moment, he could speak to Arioch in such a way that Arioch stopped and listened. The captain of the king's guard had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. Daniel knew him, by the way, and uh, some of the other soldiers there. And it may have been that Arioch said, I just, I, you know, this is a brutal thing. The king's requiring me to kill and to, to execute some of the best people, you know, in the kingdom, people that he'd come to know and respect. And so when Daniel said, I may be able to work this out. Arioch, will you listen to me? He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? I mean, I mean you're, you're, you're carrying, you know, he's, he's only halfway through that first cup of coffee, and you're already rounding us up to execute us. I mean, then Arioch uh, made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation of the king. I'm not sure, but it, the, the English text here reads like Daniel's at, Arioch said, I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to ask him. <laughs> you know, Arioch said, I'm not going into Nebuchadnezzar with that. You realize if I went and said, yeah, yeah, will you, will you, can, we can we hold off a little bit? What would Nebuchadnezzar do? I think he'd bite his head off. I think he might say, you're next to be executed. Let's promote somebody else into your position. I think Arioch said, that would be the dumbest thing that I've ever done. So I'm not doing that. But Daniel, you know, if you want to try, I'm for you. Go ahead and give it a shot. I don't know if Arioch, I think Arioch said, you know, I mean, we'll probably drag Daniel out by his feet, you know, with, bludgeon with a sword or something, you know, from the king's presence. And so Daniel went in and uh, he requested the king to appoint him a time. He said, I want to make an appointment with you. Um, that's so that I can show you the interpretation. King, you're requesting that someone tell you the dream and give you the interpretation. I'm telling you that I can do it. Will you appoint me a time that I can come back in and tell you this dream? Nebuchadnezzar could have said, well, do it now. And Daniel said, I, I can't do it now. It doesn't tell us what he told, what he told Nebuchadnezzar. But from what the, what the text says after this, he may have told him, uh, as Nebuchadnezzar said, Nebuchadnezzar said, or, or the, um, you know, the magicians and the enchanters and soothsayers or whatever, they had said, only the gods can do something like this. Daniel went in and said, you know, they're right with that. They don't have God, a God that can do this. I do. I do not have the ability, the talent or a gift to be able to tell you your dream or the interpretation. I'm not one of those kind of people. However, I do serve a God who is able to do so. Man, Daniel's cool here. Think about it. Daniel is in Babylon because the Lord permitted the Babylons to destroy the city of Jerusalem and the temple in Jerusalem to, and to slaughter many of the people of Israel and take many of them into captivity. The worst possible thing to happen in the history of Israel has taken place. God permitted it. 
And Daniel, you see, was removed from his home and his family, his familiar surroundings, and he is, he is made to go to Babylon to remain there the rest of his life. And let me tell you something. That, that did not diminish the faith of Daniel in the promises of God. He said, yep, look at the world around me, and, I'm, and according to the promises that God has made to the people of Israel, you know, if we're looking at it just through natural eyes, whew, this is a bad situation. I mean, the culture, the society of the Jewish people had been completely destroyed. It was not only the Jewish people, but other, other nations around them. It was affected the same way. Every one of those nations, every one of those people groups are no longer in existence today. I mean, they were absorbed into other populations, you know what I'm talking about, except for, the, except for the people of Daniel. That's amazing. The people of Daniel continue to exist even into modern times. They've got some in Biloxi. Crazy, isn't it? Nashville, Tennessee, New York City, you know, just about every major city in America has a population of, of Daniel's um, family, descendants. And in 1948, after 2,000 years of being absent from the land of Israel, the Jewish people were able to return, and now they actually exist there as the what? The nation of, anybody know? Israel. Now, you're not old enough, but I'm old enough to remember how odd that is, that there was no nation of Israel. The Jewish people had no country to go to. They lived in all other kinds of countries. And many of them no longer spoke Hebrew. They spoke, you know, the languages of the countries that they were in, or some conglomerate of that nation. They were a, they were a dispersed people. And yet in 1948, you know, after the Holocaust, uh, Jewish people from all over the world began to reassemble there. Just like the Bible said they would. Okay? Alright? And uh, they're not gathering there uh, in the faith of Daniel, they're gathering there really in unbelief right now. There's coming a day where their eyes will be opened, and like Daniel, they're going to turn to the God of heaven and put their trust in him. Are you with me so far? And, uh, and he says, um, so then, this is the key part of the story. This is where we need to be different maybe than we've been before. This is where the church has lost its identity. Uh, the church has, a, has drifted so far, so far that it no longer can identify with the principles that are being set forth here for the people of God. Then Daniel went to his house, and he made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Oh, he's got six, six companions. He's got six friends then, doesn't he? Right? He's got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he's also got Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Right? Those are three other friends? Yes or no? No. That's... That's, those are the Jewish names, those are the Hebrew names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they were moved to Babylon and they were to start their training, you know, the boss over the training stood up and says, forget your family name. Forget the name your mom and dad gave you. We're going to give you, we're going to give you new names. And remember in scripture, uh, this is a principle that starts in Genesis and seems to run all the way through. When some entity gives some, another entity a new name, it means it's, it's signaling, I own you now. You're mine. And in Babylon, it had the connotation of whether you like it or not. Whereas with 
Christians, or when the Lord names somebody, he gives them a new name. Like Jacob's name was changed to Israel, remember? It means you belong to me, and I am going to take care of you. I am going to bless you. I promise all these wonderful things for you. And to, and to signal that to you and to all other people, I'm going to give you a new name that will represent that. You see, would you rather receive a new name from the Lord or a new name from Nebuchadnezzar? I, you know, I just bow up on the inside. Say, Nebuchadnezzar is going to give me a new name because he owns me? You know? And yet Daniel submitted himself to that. He recognized that as far as time is concerned, that was the Lord's will. And he would faithfully serve his God, the God of Israel, in that situation. He's having a wonderful opportunity to do it here. And then, uh, um, and he told them to seek mercy from the Lord. Those, they've gathered together. So listen to that. That's so, that doesn't happen very often anymore. If crisis comes to the church... Or if trouble comes to an individual Christian or to his family, what are we more likely to do? Woe is me. I'm so afraid. You know, why is God letting this happen, this happen to me? You know, or it's their fault. You know, it's, because, it's your fault because you didn't, know, you know, you didn't vote right. I've actually had somebody leave the church because they said, I would not promote a certain candidate from the pulpit. And I just said, I don't have time for that. I said, you said, I can tell you who I'm voting for. Will that help? You know, but, but as a matter of fact, what I'm doing is, is trying to stay true to God's word. I'm not here to promote a certain, um, a certain government or certain social reform. I'm here to preach the word of God. And uh, because we live in a world that in reality is not our home. Our home is elsewhere. Our role in life isn't to change or confront or to battle, you see, the forces that are here. Scripture tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and uh, uh, authorities of darkness, you know, all around us. And so there's other things at stake than merely uh, how high our taxes go. I see you're interested. I see I just got your attention. You're thinking, hmm, I bet he's a Democrat. Only Democrats talk like that. All right, we'll move on. And then, uh, but, he, but he, gathered, he gathered his friends. I, don't, I, think it's, I think it's proper for him to say his friends. And those who constituted his friends, and this is so important, are those who had, who had, who had a mind and disposition, who had interest in the things of the Lord. They just seem to gravitate to one another. Nowadays, if you have a problem, you might go to somebody you know at work. Irregardless of whether they're Christian or not, you're thinking, how can I solve my problem rationally? You know, and as far as God's concerned, yeah, he may be interested, but I don't know. For those who have, who have a godly perspective on things, say, I know God knows about this. And... Uh, I'm going to do the right thing. The right thing for me, first of all, is to have friends, you see, those acquaintances that have the same spiritual interests that I have. Well, maybe you do have friends that have the same spiritual interest you have. They don't have any spiritual interest. You see what I'm saying? You see, the measure of a man's godliness and a woman's godliness 
is those that they consider to be their heart friends, their closest associates, their, their, you know, their bosom buddies, if you will. Not their drinking friends, you know. <laughs> it's not those who like to go out and, and uh, on, uh, on to events together with, you know. It's those who have, those who have the same intense interest, I would say passion, uh, for the for the truths of God, and that shows up in the way that they interact in life with with the events with the circumstances of life around about them. You know, before when I was talking about the other the other subject, I had eyes listening. Now I'm talking about this; they're glazing over. No, I'm not. I'm kidding you about that. But the point is, is that the vast majority, I believe, of Christianity today has lost any recognition of the, any. Not only, it's gone beyond interest, it's begun. I can't even perceive what you're talking about, man. Whereas in the history of the church, there's always been a faithful remnant. And that faithful remnant is called remnant, not individuals, because they associate closely with one another. And God acts on their behalf. He answers their prayers. He meets their needs. Even though some of them may actually uh, enter into trouble and persecution, and harm, and maybe even death. So, we have friends, and we have acquaintances, right? That woman sitting right there, she's my friend. And one of the things that drew us together, honestly, was our, our like-mindedness when it came to the Lord. And uh, that's important, you know. I have many acquaintances, because we don't have that heart connection. We may have other interests. We may, I may like them. We may, you know, I may love them even. And I may even spend lots of time with them. But, but that connection, you know, that, that, that uniting of soul and spirit is absent. And, and I, 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 I don't want to say challenge, but it's more of a, I, I plead with you, you know, change yourself, you know, pray to God that he'll give you a, a passion for his word and then to put you in close proximity with others who also do. I think he'll answer. I know he'll answer that prayer. I feel certain he'll answer that prayer. Uh, The the opposite of that is to be a dingbat. Okay. Don't be a dingbat. You want to be a friend, not a dingbat. Okay. You want to be a friend, not a dingbat. And in Daniel's society, there were those that were his acquaintances. There were those that respected him. There were those who liked him. However, there was a crowd that despised him, that resented him. They were thoroughly um, jealous, if you will, of him. And later in Daniel's life, one of the stories that come later when he's an older man, they're going to plot together and said, we want to destroy this man. We want to bring him down. That'll make us happy. We want to laugh at him. And said, we've got a plan. And they go, okay, what's your plan? All we have to do, it's simple, guys, all we have to do is come up with something, come up with something that's against. We, uh, that, come, up with, come up with a way that we make it illegal for Daniel to do the right thing. Because we know Daniel will always choose to do the right thing by his God. They thought for a while and said, oh, 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 what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And they said, we know Daniel has this habit, practice of praying. Now, we see this prayer here. This was an emergency prayer. But regularly, he would open up his window that was facing west, was facing toward the city of Jerusalem, and he would pray. So they went to the king at that time, which wasn't Nebuchadnezzar, and they said, Neb, 
I mean, um, Darius has said, look, you're wonderful. They bragged on him. You know, they just kind of built him up and said, you're the most wonderful. Go ahead and make a law that for 30 days no one can pray unless they're praying to you. And he said, okay, I will do that. Mm -hmm. So he did that. But the law of the Medes and the Persian was that once you made a law, a ruler made a law, he could not change it. Even he couldn't make it change. Nebuchadnezzar was king before the Medes and the Persian. He could do anything he wanted to. He could change his mind anytime he wanted to. Nobody said anything. But this king could not. So the law went out. The next day, the next day when that law came into effect, at the same time, Daniel's window popped open, you see, and he prayed. Now, he could have kept the window shut. There's nothing in the law, nothing in the scripture that says, Daniel, you know, you got to open your window. Daniel, you have to, you, and you, you, you have to do it this way. He could have sincerely and honestly said, okay, okay, they don't want me praying. I don't have to show them. I'll just do that. But no, he did it. And you know what they did to Daniel. We'll have to get to that story because there's some interesting things about that as well. But I just want to show that Daniel was a man who took his faith seriously. There was shoe leather on his faith. He lived it. And when crisis and problems came, this was the time to prove uh, his relationship to God to be uh, sincere and true. Church today, it's all about happy, right? We come to church, you know, I wish we had it. I, I really do. I wish we could have a praise band up here. Wouldn't that be cool? Huh? For about the first 45 minutes, we could be singing and a dancing. Our spirits could be soaring. And we could say, it's good to be a Christian. It's good to be in the house of God and to be able to know, experience this joy and this enthusiasm for God. Right? We could do that. And then tack on about 10, 15 minute, you know, a little devotion from the word after that, which, which actually says, you can be happy. You know, you, should, you are deserving joy. You know, God's going to perform a miracle in your life. We could go that route, right? But, the, but when crisis comes, which still may yet come in a way that we don't know about, even in our country. Many of those are going to fall off. Many of them are going to turn away and say, I'm just going to be quiet. I'm going to go, I don't want nobody to hurt me. You know, they might take my money away from me. You know, what happens if they take my, my money away from me? Oh, that's just really going to be terrible. What happens if I have to live in poverty? I don't even have enough money to buy a razor to shave. You know, I'm, I'm, that's why I'm pathetic. Okay, so... I'm encouraging us to anchor our faith, our souls, stake everything on the, on the Word of God and begin to live by it. And the principle that we have here is Daniel had friends. And when the crisis come, he did not hesitate and they did not hesitate to gather together and storm, you see, the throne of God's grace to get a response and answer from God. That's the kind of people we should be or be becoming. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a dream of the night. And Daniel blessed the Lord God of heaven. I can imagine. He's going, I'm out. I wonder how that went. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Because, you know, the Lord didn't have to answer that prayer. You know, in the next chapter, the next story that we'll deal with next month or so is the fiery furnace thing. Remember that? And the three friends of Daniel, I don't know where Daniel was. We'll have to talk about where was Daniel? But the three friends of Daniel said, we're not bowing to you, Nebuchadnezzar. When those musical instruments play, we're not bowing to you. And they said, even if you put us to death, we're not going to bow. Because we know you may kill the body, but you can't kill 
the Spirit will be with the Lord. We're going to stay true to Him, even if it does cost us our life. So Daniel said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes the times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. To reveals, he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we have asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. I'm going to stop here. Uh, we'll come back uh, second Sunday, hopefully, Lord willing, of next month. And uh, we will probably pick up here briefly before we move into chapter 3. But uh, that middle passage is the message, is the story that God had for Daniel and his people at that time and for those of God's people that follow in the generations ahead. There's something, there's something that we need to do differently or better than we've done before. Find friends in the Lord. And when crises and problems come, don't wring your hands or don't try, to, don't try to man up and take care of this yourself. Gather with the, your friends and say, let's ask God for wisdom and provision and direction and let's see His hand work on our behalf. The next section that we'll come back to Normally, when I teach the book of Daniel, I can't wait to get to this section. This is where we're talking about Bible prophecy. And in these next verses, he's going to tell us Bible prophecy from A to Z. He's going to tell us Bible prophecy from the time of Daniel all the way to the second coming of Christ. He's going to give us a schematic. It's kind of like a, a, a skeleton, uh, kind of an overview of God's plan and, purpose, uh, God's plan and prophetic purposes. Uh, for his people all the way through. It's gorgeous. It's phenomenal. That's usually where I can't wait to get to. But as far as Daniel was concerned, yeah, that's important to know that God's... He needed, he, Daniel and his people needed to know that even though they're in a, in a horrendous, horrific time in their history, and there's a lot of discomfort, there's a lot of heartache and disappointment, even though they're living in a time frame like that, God is still in control he is, still going, he is going to be true to His promises, and we can trust Him, and we can walk in the confidence of those promises that God has given to us. Amen? Okay, don't go tell anybody I'm a Democrat. I, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying, but well, because we're on tape. If we went on tape and you asked me, are you a Democrat? I go, okay. <laughs> but are, you a, are you a Republican? I go, what are you? I, are you an independent? I go, mm-hmm. Yep. Independent. I'm looking. I want to exercise my responsibility as a citizen before God. And I think I need to stay kind of there with that. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the friends that we have. Those who are seeking to walk with the Lord, not just on a Sunday morning, but also on a Friday and on a Monday. Uh, during the times of the life where it seems like everything is blessing and glory and good, but also walking with the Lord during those times where there's disappointment, there's heartache, uh, there's discouragement, and uh, times where they not only look to you for wisdom and for strength and for provision, but they're also looking to one another, looking to their friends, those who also have like precious faith in the Lord. We pray these things now in Christ's name. Ask for your blessing, Lord, upon each one. Uh, for this next week's retreat, Lord, we pray that that might be a time in which 
the friends of the Lord can bond together even stronger around this precious truth of the Word of God. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sunday message. We hope your understanding increased and maybe discovered one or two things you can use to improve your relationship to God and to fellow believers. If you aren't a member of a local church, we invite you to come check out Bible Fellowship Church. Thank you.